You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, imagine this. You started buying investment property and your friends are asking you, your family is asking you, hey, how are you doing this? So you, you try to help them and it doesn't go anywhere. So then you, you start writing blog posts and trying to do online education. And for a few years, you're, you're working a few different ways of to, to get your friends and others to buy real estate. And it's not working. And then, you know, you're, you're thinking, what do I got to do here? And you're even telling them when you see them, hey, give me a call sometime. Let's help. Let's work together. And you're not even a real estate agent. Well, that's kind of the, the story here behind DoorVest. And I've got the co-founder and CEO. Andrew Luong, and we talked about how he got started this company and why, and it was really a matter of, hey, he saw some success in buying rental properties and wanted to help others do the same. Dorvest, as they describe, helps individuals build wealth remotely by facilitating the purchase of single-family rentals and managing the property. This ultimately makes owning rentals much easier. We get into how they're doing that types of deals that they're sourcing, the management and logistics behind value adds. And of course, we can't avoid the topic of the headwinds in today's market. A lot of things working against real estate businesses at the moment, especially if you're in the residential and rental space. And Andrew talks very candidly about how DoorVest is handling those challenges. Let's jump in, hear what he has to say. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Uh, I shared with you just here in the pre-show that the way I learned about DoorVest, and this is probably one of the weirdest ways, is when when they hire my sales rep from one company and then and, and they they joined you guys, and I had to dig into. I was like, who is this DoorVest taking my sales guy that I'm working with uh-huh. over here at, at Bigger Pockets at the time? Uh, and uh, so I've been following you guys for like a few years now, almost three years, I think. Uh, and you, but you've only been up and running for about four, right? Yeah. Um, depending on who you hear it from, uh, early 2020 is kind of like where the, the common wisdom uh, on when we've been around. But uh, yeah, it depends on who you hear it from is, is kind of the timeline. But I'm, I'm just yeah. looking at the crunch, the crunch base, you know. But I know that that's kind of like a Wikipedia page. You shouldn't use it as your finite source for a research pa- paper. Yeah, so, somewhere between <laughs> three and four years, uh, like three and a half to four years is probably it. A good one. And yeah, Colin uh, is awesome, is a former team member. Uh, his wife, Amanda, is also extra awesome and is a current Dorvest team member. So yeah, good, good, good people. Well, I'm excited to get into this. I know we have a lot of things to uh, to cover here. The first one I want to get into, and it's not even about Dorvest. We're going to get into Dorvest. We're going to get into your past. I want to, I want to talk about cities to invest in. I just want to start right there the, at the very top. Because uh, I, you know, every year someone puts out a list where you should invest, and and this year 
all the lists I've been seeing, like these are the markets that are going to collapse and the prices are going to crash. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about the YouTube bros that, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to say Robert Kiyosaki by name to start and everyone else that's been crying crash for the last literal 10 years. Uh, but where are the markets right now? You're looking at, Hey, these are, these are markets that I want to be in, or I think people should want to be in. Maybe I'll start with something that might be a little bit controversial. Um, Let's do it. Maybe we'll go right, right there. I mean, I, I kind of start off with like my general belief around investing, um, including real estate, uh, but also broadly speaking too, is kind of the uh, bogle uh, mentality of sort of time in the market, don't try to time the market, that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, generally speaking, um, for myself, when I think about real estate investing, it's very much a long-term buy and hold. Um, and so I, I think that that's kind of the general premise. Um, and mm-hmm. so within the constraints of what is a five plus year hold for myself and also by extension our customers, um, that should dictate markets, I, I'd say. Um, and so some markets maybe you believe have strong or bad, I should say, poor fundamentals today, but strong in the medium term might still be a fit for certain people. Um, and then I guess the second piece caveat uh, on note is uh, I think everyone has, it, it's sort of real estate is sort of a pick your own poison kind of game. Um, mm. Some people end up in markets that no one goes into and they do a great job. Others go into great markets and still somehow do poorly, et cetera. Anyways, caveats aside, I'm still a fan of sort of the, I don't know, uh, the tier below the super inflated markets that we saw run during COVID. Um, mm-hmm. The Austins, the Phoenix, of, the Phoenixes of the world. I think those markets were quite a bit heated up, in my opinion. Um, and so the markets I, I've seen sort of steady growth over time, good population and job growth, et cetera. Um, I've always been a fan of Atlanta, as with everyone else in institutional real estate. So maybe what one could say it was a little bit uh, on the more heated side, too. You just love traffic, huh? <laughs> yeah, lo- lots of traffic is, uh, I mean, generally speaking. Maybe I've driven to Atlanta good. once. Yeah. And I stayed at the absolute worst Airbnb I think I've ever stayed at in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, it was the bedroom did not look like the the photos that the host and his friends were toking the entire time I was there. And, you know, it, I was not in a position to get any nicer a place. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I was just like, just suck it up. You got two nights. That's all you got to do. But it was... It was horrible, but the traffic, it was un, it was, I can't, Mm-mm. nope, no, thank you. <laughs> um, what year was this when you were there? You know what, great question. That was 2017 when I had retired as a real estate agent. We had moved mm-hmm. to Nashville and I was uh, several weeks into discovering what was my next move, went down for a conference. So I drove from Nashville down to Atlanta uh, and that was actually on that drive home. I called a friend of mine and I'd said, I said, tell me this is a terrible idea, but I'm going to start an agency, which became 
Real Team Panda, which is what launched Tech Nest, which is why I'm in PropTech. So something happened on that trip that triggered it. Maybe it was a bad Airbnb experience. Yeah, something about the bad Airbnb led to the <laughs> awesome creative juices. And there like, we go, yeah, there we go. The firepower to, to go. Well, I want to get a little bit more specific here. I know we kind of started on a very broad topic. You run a company called Dorvest as you're one of the co-founders and the current CEO. Give us an overview. What is Dorvest? Yeah. Um, so Dorvest at a high level makes it easy for, for people to buy and own investment homes online. Uh, what sort of our, our broader mission is to advance financial security for all. Um, sort of what that means in a nutshell is we, we just make it easy for people to, to buy investment homes online and we kind of do the back end management um, so that they could kind of cut a check, um, earn the rental income, build the long term wealth. And then we kind of do all of the heavy lifting uh, and the work um, to, to make all of that happen. Um, how Dorvis came to be um, was super personal. Um, like I kind of grew up middle class did okay. Parents were never financially secure. Um, saw them go through a foreclosure during the last recession. I'm an only child, so that experience uh, was really tough on our family unit. Fast forward some years, ended up in doing sales, and then start, started to begin saving, investing, and then stumbled mm -hmm. into real estate in 2014. Uh, bought my first home in 2014. One led to two, two led to a little bit over 10. Um, and friends and coworkers and friends of friends would keep coming uh, and asking me for advice on how to get started um, and ne never really had a platform to point them towards. And so I'm stubborn. And so I think it took me quite a while, like five plus years to to figure out that there was a gap and some opportunity there. Uh, but eventually that, that led to kind of doorbust today. Yeah, very cool. And I, and I wanted to ask you about that because you were, you know, it was only a few years ago, you were still doing sales and, and investing on the side, you know, outside of your day job. What was the, you know, you, you said you kind of stubborn and it kind of took you a few years to recognize that gap. But what was that trigger moment that you were like, I've got to, I've got to create the product that helps cover this gap between people who are asking, how do I get started? And then actually getting them to, to move forward. Yeah. I, I'm I'm sure you have a lot of other guests on the show, and so I'd be curious uh, how many guests sort of have like a uh, light bulb moment, uh, whereas ours was very much a slow drip. It was like people kept asking and asking, and I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll write some blog posts. That didn't work. Then I was like, okay, um, here's, the, here's my checklist. Like literally, how do you find an agent? How do you write some offers? How do you get it financed? How do you figure out the renovations, the leasing, the management, the accounting, the bookkeeping? And then how do you do that again so you can build out a portfolio? Here's my playbook. And I gave it to people, um, sent them off on their way. Crickets. I'm like, hey, I'm around. I love talking about real estate. Give me a text. Shoot me a call. Whatever. Like, I'm always available. You sound um, like a real estate agent just trying to get people to call you. But all you're doing yeah, is... Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even make money off of it. You know, <laughs> I was just here for, for uh, the fact that maybe I could help some people get into real estate. Right, um, right. And then... Yeah, I mean, we bump into each other in like four months and they were like, couldn't get started. Can you do this for me? Um, and so that's to say our, our story was very organic in, in that regard. It, it took some time and it was a very slow drip. Um, and then I guess I'd say some of it came with uh, naivete uh, about uh, how to build a business, et cetera, where I was mm -hmm. like, okay, 
should be easy. You kind of have this idea, you have some customers, et cetera, um, and then you go and do it. Uh, so some combination of the organic drip uh, and the, the fact that uh, I, I figured it might be easier than uh, it turned out to be. All right, so let's get practical. How does it work? Hmm. Yeah, so we kind of start with the consumer. Um, so learn more about them and their investment objectives. How much do they have saved up as a down payment or allocated towards real estate? What sort of yields or cap rates were they hoping for? And kind of what's their general risk profile? Like, are you looking for a super yielding home, like super old, tough neighborhood, et cetera? Are you looking for like a beautiful home with like a big pool and like no yield, but uh, it's a big and nice home and like nicest home on the block, et cetera? Or are you kind of looking for something in between? Um, so then we'll start with uh, the consumer's preferences. And on the other side, we'll source homes, generally off market, generally through wholesalers, generally need really heavy renovations. Bring the homes back to the consumer. We'll ask them for their feedback. They'll tell us yes or no. Um, we'll keep going until they say yes. Once they say yes, we'll ask them to sign a contract, pay a reservation fee, and then we'll, we'll then we'll do the heavy lifting. So we'll buy the home, we'll renovate it, we'll lease and begin management. Um, wow. Bring the home back to the consumer. They'll buy it from us. We get a cut, and then we'll manage it on ongoing after that. Do Do you have a team of in house bird dogs, or are these uh, contractors you're working with across the country where you've got an arrangement of they you know, they're bringing you deals because especially in the world of wholesaling, like you do not want to be the, the fifth and sixth person they sent the deal to. You want to be yeah. the first person they send that deal to. Exactly. Um, so the wholesaling itself is, uh, we have an in-house acquisitions team that works with our wholesale partners. I mean, wholesale, uh, we, we, we primarily work with the wholesalers, but we also work with um, like on market from time to time. We buy from other mm -hmm. institutions, et cetera, but primarily uh, wholesalers. But yeah, totally agree with you. I mean, I think kind of our competitive advantage there is the ability to deliver consistent and high volume. Um, like we're, we interface as an institution, um, whereas mm -hmm. I think the majority of the folks that they sell deals to uh, are fix and flippers. Um, and so we kind of have some element of the repeat business that I think is interesting for, for them. Um, yeah, lots of moving pieces along the business. Bits and elements, some some stuff we do in-house, obviously other stuff we, we work with, third parties, et cetera. So, so your customers, though, are not looking to flip. They're looking, these are buy and hold. So the value add component here is where you guys are finding the yield on the properties. And then for, for the wholesaler, then that means the transactional volume they can do with you can be a little bit higher because even, you know, even in good times, you can only manage so many flips generally. So you only, yep. you can only go back to the same buyer so often because from the, from the, many of the flippers I know, even the good ones, they, they have constant cash problems. Yep. There's a constant liquidity issue of being able to buy and finance the projects. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, so I think that's kind of what really differentiates us in, in a number of different ways on, so we see ourselves as a marketplace. There's kind of the demand side, which is an investor looking to buy an investment home or an investment portfolio. And then mm -hmm. the supply side is how do we actually get our hands on the, the real estate? Um, and so on the supply side, we're focused on the homes that are effectively fix, fix and flip homes. 
usually we do about 25% of, uh, of our acquisition price in renovations. Um, so pretty heavy stuff, I'd say, co compared to most institutions. Do, putting about 50 grand or so uh, per home and then doing, yep. obviously, higher volume because we're uh, a big uh, a business. Um, but yeah, it, it, exactly. So so we're working with them and because we're able to deliver on that volume and then we have cheaper capital sources. So we're a little bit more, generally a little bit more competitive, et cetera. Um, we're less competitive than our big institutional peers, like the mm -hmm. iBuyers of the world, the large uh, REITs, et cetera. Um, but they also don't operate the same um, homes that need quite a bit of love as we do. Gotcha. Which markets are you guys focused on? Yeah, um, kind of some belt and south, south or sorry, um, southeast and Midwest uh, as of right now. So uh, Houston was our first market. Uh, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Atlanta, Columbus, Cincy, and Oklahoma mm -hmm. City uh, as of right now. I didn't hear uh, I didn't hear Rapid City up in there. What's going on, man? <laughs> just hating on South Dakota. Maybe you could uh, you could help me stand up the the market and we'll we'll, we'll be your first uh, uh, customer. And now, see uh, in in twenty twenty two, I think there was a handful of quarters that Rapid City kept making like uh, fastest growing city in the in the Midwest. Uh, but it's when we say city here. <laughs> it's a different definition. The metro area right. of Rapid City, not even just like the actual limit. It's only 100,000 people wow. or maybe a little bit more than 100,000. So I live in a town of like 4,000 at, wow. at most. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there, yeah, we don't we even live... have a stoplight. <laughs> Whoa. We live uh, pretty different lives. Um, <laughs> I mean, back to your initial sort of your intro question was like, I don't know. Uh, you, you asked what's a good real estate market and I'm sure – you fundamentally believe Rapid City is a really good market for yourself to live, et cetera. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not the only one, too. Uh, and so, no, yeah, I hear I the mean, complaints from all the lifers. <laughs> the lifers here are getting tired of Colorado and California license plates showing up on the block. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, I'm going to get back to. So, um, all right. So, so, I come to you and I'm like, okay, Andrew, look, I'm looking to buy. Some investment property. I want that middle of the road. Maybe it gets a bedroom added, and we see that as the value add. It's a fast way to increase rent ask from a you know a two bed to a three bed, which means the value goes up, right? Okay, your team is going to go in and do the renovations, or this is a network of contractors you're working with. How are you handling that, coordinating? Because that's a logistical nightmare when you're talking about operating across the country. Yeah, I'm kind of laughing. Uh, so if your viewers are watching the video, uh, it is a logistical nightmare. This is where we think that we as an institution over time, we'll, we just get better and better. Um, and so if our start, starting point is good, um, we'll inevitably get better and better over time uh, as we iterate and improve and that sort of thing. But yeah, exactly. Um, so just to play it out, you're living in Rapid City. You have 50 grand uh, to put into an investment home sort of middle of the pack home, maybe it's about 200K, give or take. Um, you'll put that 50 grand as a down payment. Um, and then we'll go find homes that we think meet your criteria. We'll bring mm -hmm. back a couple um, and then we'll put it in front of you. And then you're like, yes, that one. I like the fact that you guys are turning this two bedroom, two bath into a three bedroom, two bath. It'll be great for a family. The numbers pencil out. Um, 
and let's do it. Um, and so uh, prior to, to that, I mean, for, for you to say yes, we would have already scoped the home. We would have done a line item budget. We would have known exactly where we're going to land in the future, um, mm -hmm. along with, of course, the forecasted rents and yield and that sort of thing. Um, you say yes, we'll ask you to sign that contract and then we'll buy it. Uh, then we'll manage the renovations. Um, so in-house, we oversee the general contractors. We, we don't do uh, the actual construction and renovation work ourselves. Maybe yeah, over yeah. time we'll do bits and pieces of it. But uh, uh, right now we, we sort of oversee um, our network of G GCs as we go through that process. When do I get ownership of the property? Yeah. Um, so we'll renovate it. Then we'll lease it. And then uh, sometime after then. You'll, you'll okay. typically close and take time. And that enables me then to go almost, if not more traditional routes of financing, especially if the property needed any sort of significant renovation. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the homes themselves are uninhabitable to begin. Um, and so probably don't really move well on the MLS, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you probably can't finance it because... Oh man, uh, we have some funny memes internally. There was one house that was like, I don't know, like a wall was busted through and it was like open air concept, but like it was just missing <laughs> a wall. Um, but anyway, uh, not uh, not uh, not financeable. Um, and so by the time we serve up the home to you, it's definitely conventional financing uh, ready. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and you sort of capitalize all of your costs into this final home that we kind of prepped and and hardened and made durable for, for rental. I learned that lesson as a real estate agent. I had, hmm. um, I, I found a house that was uh, listed for sale and it was a FISBO. And so, you know, I was a new agent. I called everything. It didn't matter whose number and I didn't care the name. I mean, and it, it Ugly houses, deal, sign me up, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. was selling. So what could go wrong? If you can win the listing, you know you're going to get a deal. And right. uh, I uh, talked with the seller. We talked a little bit about the house. I thought he was underselling it. And I was like, look, I know we can do better than this. So let's let's give, give me two weeks to market this house. We're going to bump the asking price, like take it off Craigslist and all those things. And let's go from there. And he's like, yeah, quit. Let's do it. What I didn't know is I learned a few things. It's like one, he had just bought the house like a month prior and he mm. did a, a prehab. So basically mm. inspect, get all the details of the project, scoped it out a little bit. He, I think he did like one or two fixes and then I was it. And then it was to take on for the next buyer. But the second problem was that the buyers that were coming to look at it were all FHA, were all USDA. And right. I was like, well, None of these, I learned the hard way. I was like, well, none of these are going to, no one's going to sign off on this property. Right. It was, and so it stung. I was like, there's no conventional lending for this, which means it's a cash only. And none of the investors were wanting to buy that because it was on market. And they knew right away that they're over, they're overpaying because right. of, you know, other fees and, and commissions and things baked into the price. So that was a that was a hard lesson that I went through of dealing with a house that kind of really smelled. So every time I had to go back there, I was like, "Man, this deal stinks!" Literally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. 
props to our team that they kind of serve as this in, in and out, but uh, effectively that that's the exact type of home that we generally would, would go after. Um, maybe instead of the, the prehab, as you mentioned, first time I heard that, I like that word. Um, but uh, sometimes people will take on way more than they, they could chew. And so they'll mm. do a couple pieces and they're like, no way or whatever happens. Um, that's usually a good home for us because we ourselves have the muscle to do the value add Two, it helps us with it helps us and our investor with with our ability to make the home rental durable because we could dictate everything that goes into this house i mean if you're buying from a typical flipper they're going to look for generally anything that looks good um but mm-hmm. it's cheapest um and that's not in our long-term best interest because the last thing we want to do is sell you a home and everything falls apart um so anyways uh that, that that's very much the, the stuff that we 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 like so the investor is going to make the money once they get control of the house on the rental, right? The rental income. Where does Dorvest make money along the way? Yeah. So we 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 get a cut of the sale. Um so there's sort of the our cost basis, then our um then there's sort of the new fair market value, uh and somewhere mm-hmm. in between our cost basis and the fair market value. Usually we're talking about five or six percent um mm-hmm. spread uh on that. Um, so th- that's kind of the, the first piece. The second piece is a pretty uh, standard property management fee to, to manage the home ongoing. Um, and I'd say that the third piece that I think is relatively unique um, to, to us is uh, repeat sales. Um, typically, our customers come in hoping to eventually, whether it be in the next two or three years or in the next 10 or 20 years, um, mm-hmm. to amass some sort of real estate portfolio uh, for rental income. Um, and so, um, staying close to the consumer generating, um, asset management fees, and then hopefully get, getting them to, to, and supporting them as, as they build out their portfolio. Tip. Got it. Yeah. And it makes sense. And so then on the, on the, on the, the transactions, do you guys have to set up as a real estate brokerage in different States or, uh, are you able to do all these transactions without having to go that route? Yeah, we're set up. But uh, kind of the way that we do it is uh, it's effectively a FISBO or it's a direct sale from from us. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in theory, that helps save us on uh, agent commissions. uh, And that's sort of the the savings that we can pass along. Um, The way that we actually make the money is more the delta between our cost basis and the sales price, which is kind of the spread that we're talking about. Gotcha. Now I want to jump into something that's a little bit newer uh, some product news from you guys recently. You you launched Mortgage by Dorvest. Can you talk more about what that is and why go down that route? Yeah. Um, so I guess back to the story from earlier. Um, I was actually successful in helping a handful of my friends buy uh, investment homes back in the day. The majority I was not successful with uh, in, in sort of my coaching and playbooking and blog posting and stuff. Um, but uh, a handful I was actually successful with. And so as they go down that process, um, actually, I myself, part, part of that learning was uh, I, I was a real estate agent at one time, uh, at one point, and I was a mortgage broker at one point too. Um, so as they go through that trajectory and similar to what you were saying earlier is the vast majority of buyers need to get a mortgage on these homes. Uh, almost all of our customers need to get a mortgage. 70% of our customers are first time homeowners. They're not buying these things with all cash, that sort of thing. Um, and so part of that trajectory uh, was how do we 
um, offer a more cohesive, streamlined consumer experience. And then mm-hmm. obviously, hopefully we could deliver on good rates and like make a little bit more money, that sort of thing. And so mortgage by doorbest was kind of a natural uh, a natural step in that journey uh, amongst kind of the first of hopefully more products that we'll, we'll launch over time. Got it. And it makes a lot of sense, right? Because when you're getting ready to turn over the buyer, they have to they have to line up financing anyway. And to some degree, you've already done that much amount of due diligence on the buyer ahead of time. So even before they're going to shop for another mortgage, you've really already done, do, would we want to work with this person? Like, because if you don't have confidence, they're going to get financing. What, I mean, you end up now with another house. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so we do sort of general, I mean, it's similar to like a stated income uh, pre-qualification. So we get basic details about um, our future buyer um, to ensure that we could buy a home on their behalf and they'll be able to take us out later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of one. And actually, secondly, we know the home really well too. Um, we know we, we could price and value the home. We know what the rents are going to fall in, um, et cetera. Um, and lastly, um, sort of the, the experience piece. Um, if you think about a conventional MLS sale, you get a home that's ready to go, right? You list it. You do your viewings, you finally get a contract, and then then after the contract, at some point, you get to the point where you order an appraisal. Um, mm-hmm. Our sort of hope and aspiration is to be able to order the appraisal the day that we finish renovations because we're running some of these processes in parallel. So um, kind, of, kind of the convergence of those three factors uh, are, are kind of what drove this. Yeah, very cool. Well, it, it just it seems to make a lot of sense and very logical. And then, of course, for customers, like streamlining it uh, can really enhance the experience. Um, I want to talk a little more on the like sales and marketing. Generally, I'm going to go ahead and guess that most of these are individual investors. You're not necessarily buying on behalf of like other companies or institutional type investors. Is that is that correct? Yeah, gen- generally. Um, so kind of mentioned this earlier, um, 70% of our, our customers are first-time homeowners. So very much an individual, maybe sometimes like last year, my co-founder Justin and I split a home. Um, so maybe it's like two people or whatever. Um, but generally speaking, it's sort of an individual. From time to time, uh, there are institutions that we work with, um, but mm-hmm. just doesn't represent as as large of, a, uh, of total revenue. Um, and then work with some sort of like uh, family offices, high net words, that sort of thing. Gotcha. And, and when you say first-time home buyers or homeowners, excuse me, like the house they're buying through you guys is their very first transaction or they, they just bought their first home, they live in a home, and now they're looking to invest? Yeah. Um, there's been sort of this billboard idea that I've had for the longest time. We just never got around to it. It's like, we put a billboard, maybe this is not the right audience, but we put a billboard in your backyard in Rapid City and it says, live Rapid City, own Atlanta, live Rapid City, own Houston, etc." cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of the general concept is decoupling um, where you live um, and sort of like the the wealth building and sort of the, the investment side of owning real estate. So that's to say, this is their first ever home. Um, usually they're they're generally renting. Uh, mm. and have never purchased a primary and their first ever home is an investment home. Gotcha. Okay. So so then the follow-up is, uh, one, what are you doing to reach these investors? Like Because I know I know this audience pretty well. Unfortunately, 
or fortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been I've been in this space now, you know, primarily working with the the independent, the mom and pops, right? For a little over four years now. What are you doing to reach them? Because they can be a little tricky and there's a whole lot of false signals along the way. Yeah. Um well, this is something that we've been talking about a lot. Um, so it's very, I guess, relevant is uh when we talk about easy real estate investing, come up with I don't know, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, uh, and then own a home that yields and is great. Um Basically, Nate, you and me, all of our parents, all of our friends, and all of our friends' friends start clicking through and talking to us because uh, it, it it makes very uh, a lot of sense uh, for for people. Um, and so that that's definitely like the false signal is kind of something that, uh, candidly, we're still working on today too. Yeah. Um, is how do we tighten that piece? Um, but yeah, I mean. In terms of the, the the three core channels where we get customers to, uh, as of today, um, Facebook and Google has actually worked out really well for, for us. And remind uh, just to remind you, like we're selling homes and we're selling hopefully several homes to people too. And so um, the LTV uh, on on uh, on these transactions is quite high, and so that kind of justifies our ability to spend. On performance um mm-hmm. referrals and word of mouth works out generally very well for for us um i think going back to the same stories from earlier um 70 of our customers are first-time homeowners they'll buy a home through doorfest they're really excited rightfully so they'll go to dinner with five or six friends they talk about it they send three or four friends back to us and one or two buy a home like that that's kind of how the the math generally pencils out um, and so that's, it gives, obviously it gives us customer acquisition, also gives us a nice psychological win, I'd say for myself and the team. Um, and then the, the repeat is kind of the, the last piece too, which is like, number one, how do we stay close and deliver on an awesome experience? So folks not only mm-hmm. buy their first home, but build out a portfolio with us. And then number two, and over time, um, how do we sort of build product to help accelerate um, that, that sort of trajectory as well? Yeah. No, I, I pre- appreciate that. Uh, and then uh, I want to follow up with, you know, because you, you mentioned so many are first-time buyers, what are some of the hurdles you have to to help them overcome that maybe you wouldn't have to with more seasoned investors? Yeah. I'd probably say one of the biggest ones today, and this might sound controversial, um, is uh, depending on which crowd you, you fall into when you think about real estate investing. Um, my opinion is that the difference between 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 150 bucks in monthly cash flow doesn't matter uh, uh, for a customer. Oftentimes, these are folks with a good job. They're not intending to stop with one home, et cetera. And you're buying in really good markets that have not only upside value in sort of the rents themselves, um, but upside mm-hmm. value in sort of the asset value. And the the reality is where you generally get the greatest returns is over time with home value appreciation, especially when it's leveraged uh, with the mortgage, et cetera. Um, and so anyways, that's to say, uh, I think some people get a little bit too fixated about some of the minor details that um, I think hinders folks from ever getting started. Um, like yeah. kind of what, 
I've I've personally experienced and kind of how we think about the platform is like your first home is not going to make you financially secure. Um, but not getting into your first one means you'll never get into your subsequent ones. And so find a home that you think is good, checks off the majority of the boxes, see how that goes. And then if it works out, then great. If it doesn't work out, then maybe real estate was not your thing. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, thanks for going into that. Um, now <laughs> you guys have been, I know you've been growing pretty quickly and obviously, you know, the last few years, Real estate. I mean, we, we we've just been we've seen ups, we've seen downs. It's it's been a little, it's been a fun time to say the least. Um, what do you what are you attributing? You know, you mentioned a little bit of Google, you mentioned some Facebook and referral, but what do you attribute your growth to? Like, what do you look to and say, hey, like this is why we've seen the success we've had in the last few years? Yeah, man, I think a lot of this actually. This is. Also, I think folks fall into two camps, and I'm very much of the camp that uh, if you're going to work at a startup, on a startup, etc., um, it's important to work on something that there's sort of a deep personal tie in um, for a number of reasons. One, it's just really hard, right? Like, there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. keep breaking as you grow and make progress, etc., um, and you're kind of always on the frontier of all of these major hurdles. Fine exciting learning etc um but the second piece is also um i think really being able to understand the consumer like i joke earlier about being really stubborn uh, about taking quite a few uh i don't know friends it, it took many years and many friends not being able to get started um for me to finally work on the company but in hindsight that meant that by the time we went to market we had a really strong intuition for what the consumer needed and wanted. Um, mm. And so we were able to quickly deliver on that and we could consistently reference those learnings too. And so I'd say deep understanding of the consumer is probably first and foremost. And the number two is, uh, yeah, I mean, focusing on growth. Uh, growth has always been really important to our business um, mm. and our team. Uh, and so ke- keeping a close eye on that. Now, have there been any assumptions that in the in the last few years uh, that you had, or or ideas, or experiments that you guys tried that turned out to be wrong, or failed experiments that you can share about? Oh no, no, uh, no failed experiments here. No, um, I think we've had many. Nothing was catastrophic or else we probably wouldn't be talking here. But I suppose that's also part of the uh, um, more reason to move fast because most things are not catastrophic. Um, Hmm. What's an example? Uh, It took us too long to move into our second market, actually. Um, So maybe this wasn't a failed experiment, but it was kind of something that I wish we had done differently in hindsight. uh, I think we should have opened up a couple more markets sooner. Uh, it took us, I think we spent our first two years in only Houston and I think we could have shaved off six months or so and got into Houston or our second market, which was Dallas a little bit sooner too. Um, so that, that's definitely one that comes to mind. Uh, number two, different mistake. I think we moved, we got a little bit lethargic. Uh, as a company. Um, so 
I don't know, call it early 20, early 22. We were riding on our highs. We were, we just opened up Atlanta. Atlanta was performing really well. We're just like month over month, highest, uh, highest sales months ever, et cetera. And so things were looking good. And I think we started to get slow with some things and, and and Mm -hmm. a little bit too cute about like dotting our I's, crossing our T's. And that's definitely something that I regret in hindsight. Um, definitely invested in some internal tooling, uh, spent way too much time, uh, and like no one ended up using it. And so that was very much a, a regret, uh, as well. So anyway, you and everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It, it always hurts to think about that stuff. They, they, but, they can uh, be a pit real fast. That's for sure. Well, I mean, so yeah. I want to, let's dig into that a little bit. I mean, this is, this is the prop tech show. And clearly you're selling real estate. Why is Dorvest also a tech company? Yeah. Um, I think the example that I'll use, uh, the high level example I'll use is uh, we think about our lots of inspiration from Amazon. Uh, I think in the early days you look at Amazon, like, oh, they sell books. online. Um, there, there was kind of much more to it. And there's this major logistics layer behind the scenes too. That's kind mm-hmm. of how we think about our business as well. Um, we make it easy for folks to not only identify a home online, we make it easy for them to reserve and check out within a matter of clicks. Um, and so, and most people have never stepped foot into the home, let alone, um, where they're buying the home to. Uh, and so Mm -hmm. sort of decoupling the, um, decoupling the physical element of a home, um, to the process of being able to buy is kind of the short of it. And so the question is, how do we do that? Um, and it's some of it is our people, which we've talked about earlier, folks that work at Dorvest and go check up on renovations and check up on homes, et cetera. Um, and a lot of it is actually the the tech uh, enabling. Um, so some of which is ours, Matterport reports so people can walk through homes, uh, aggregating Google data, uh, school data, rental forecast, et cetera. Um, I see a lot of our work as aggregating a lot of the work that's been done before us into sort of a mm-hmm. digestible uh, a digestible form for folks to, to be able to buy the home entirely online. Yeah. All right. Um, let's uh, let's kind of dig into uh, one more. We'll, we'll kind of pull back a little bit this year. Uh, tw- you know, we're 2023. We're just in the second quarter transaction volumes way down. And if you're looking at the market, if you're looking at the residential market, especially if you're a realtor or you're maybe the average home buyer looking to, to buy, uh, it, it's challenging just to find what you need. Then And then you have interest rates, compounding problems here, right? If I'm locked in at 3%, which I, I saw the one of the it was one of the funniest memes the other day. There's so many good ones, but people not wanting to sell, holding on to what they yep. got. You know, the majority of mortgage holders have like a sub four percent interest rate on their on their mortgage. Has that created headwinds for Dorvest? What are you guys doing to counteract that to keep your transaction volume up? Because your customers are looking to you to say, "Hey, bring me the deal." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's made it really rough for us uh peak roughness uh was probably 
I'd say Q towards the end of Q2, early Q3 uh, of last year. Um, a lot of the same dynamics were happening at that time. Uh, plus, you add interest rate volatility and uncertainty, uh, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the market kind of just entirely freezes. Um, I think you're you're well aware of this, but like a lot of the large institutions, um, like they're they're moving really slowly because they're unsure of where things go generally, um, mm-hmm. and so that kind of further adds to transaction volumes being down. Ultimately, we're a transactional business. The majority of our revenue um, is transactional, which is like people buying a home. Uh, and so, yes, the short answer is it does impact our business. Um, the longer answer is um, volume took a hit because homes that were able to deliver on a uh, some cash flow, uh, the scope of those homes narrowed drastically because mm. we fact we underwrite while factoring in mortgages and mortgage rates are up quite a bit as we know uh as we talked about Quickly. and then sec- and then secondly transaction volumes are down just across the board and so there's like basically no homes that we could go go after that meet our customer criteria um so and uh we focus a lot on launching new product um to help with those uh to to help combat some of those dynamics um mm-hmm. we, we've done stuff like points pay down which you've probably seen in sort of more traditional real estate where we help consumers get a lower mortgage rate um and that kind of comes as an expense yeah, it doesn't help that an investor is always going to pay one two points higher than the average consumer yeah yeah exactly uh and then we we, we launched something else recently which is like a boost um where we look for homes where we get uh more spread uh on the uh, on the transaction uh and then we save some of the the profits that we make and then we pay that out as cash flows um over uh the course of two or three years um and so kind of looking for creative ways to to be able to bridge an investor um in this high interest rate low volume environment to like mm. the future as rents grow and things of that nature that's creative okay i hadn't heard of that one before <laughs> Yeah, uh, credit to the the team on that one. I think it was a it was a really good one. Actually. I'm you know this is such a side tangent. I'm a big fan of the word boost, and I, huh. I I can't I can't explain it. Right before you know we were talking before the show, and and I had my uh, an agency where you know I I focused on working with early stage prop tech startups, and mm-hmm. but just prior to me making that pivot as my like core and only focus, I. I had created a product called Turbo Boost because mm-hmm. I kept getting referrals to other businesses. And then, you know, I, I started with like, well, you got to have 10,000 a month in ad spend. Cause if you don't, like, I just can't, it's not going to work out. And they'd be like, we have five. I'm like, well, I still have to charge you like a very good amount of that every month. I was like, so anyway, we created a product Turbo Boost, and it was a total failure because it required people to follow instructions. And so, um, <laughs> but I have a really cool logo I created for that product, which was my uh, the real team panda panda in a rocket. So ah, yeah, yeah, I love it. It was worth something, you know. You got you got to have uh, the rocket there. Well, hey, let's uh, we're gonna jump to the bottom of the show here. Jump to my favorite segment of the show. <clears throat> excuse me, called for the future. For the future is when I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Andrew, are you ready to play? Let's do it. All right. First one, what does DoorVest look like one year from now? Yeah, one year from now, 
We're in six or seven markets as of today. Uh, definitely see us being in over 10 markets. Um, I think the second piece that I am particularly excited about about the markets is that um, maybe we could start servicing some of a different type of market, maybe some of the, the frothier markets uh, if we talk about COVID times, um, depending on where the status of those markets in, in about a year's time. Um, and so that'll be really nice for us to, to be able to service. I mean, residential real estate is a really broad category, like a different segment of residential real estate um, yep. to target a different demand base. Uh, I think that'll be interesting. Maybe Rapid City. We haven't done anything like that before. Uh, no. Come on uh, out. Yeah. And then uh, probably more products. Um, so um, I mentioned Boost earlier. We recently launched extended rent guarantees. We recently launched... Um, property management annual plans uh, where we're able to reduce uh, month to month fees and then kind of charge that up front uh, in mm -hmm. lieu of that. Um, so yeah, just excited to, to keep launching uh, products and, and better serve our, our customers. I, I want to touch on something there. People don't talk about rent guarantee, rent defaults, insurance a whole lot. Uh, and, and I know I work in the insurance industry, but this is not me pitching because we, we don't sell this stuff. Uh, necessarily, right. uh, I think we can, but we don't. Uh, so, but uh, why, why is that such a not talked about piece? It seems like it's almost like it's still under the radar, not not so much known. Right. Yeah. I think. I mean, I'd say at a high level, um, it's a hard product for people generally to deliver, especially from the outside, because some of the my, my general perspective is that a lot of uh, defaults and delinquencies, et cetera, happen um, and are preventable. There's only so much that you can underwrite out, like from the outside. I mm -hmm. think about delinquencies similar to like credit card debt. Um, like if you're behind a week, then you're behind three weeks, then you're behind, all of a sudden you're behind a month and a half. It gets really difficult to claw back from, from there. Um, and from the outside, you have a similar profile to possibly the next person, but kind of like the operational part. Um, so yeah. anyways, I, I think from an institutional standpoint, I think that's where it gets really hard is there's also an operational component to making, to avoiding delinquencies. Um, the second piece is uh, I think consumers don't quite grasp the value uh, of, of it. Um, uh, I, I think people underestimate uh, kind of some of the, the downsides. Um, and so, Back to the point of what we were talking about earlier, some customers that are looking at, oh, there's a difference between 50 bucks and 100 bucks in cash flow on a $300,000 home. Um, well, if you're paying for rental insurance or uh, rental income uh, guarantees, um, you're probably, it's going to eat out of that 100 bucks that you looked for anyway. And so I think people often don't, uh, don't, don't pay for it. Um, but I think yeah. that there's kind of the, the supplier and also the demand side challenges. Yeah, yeah. All right, number two on for the future by the end of 2025. So you got to look into the crystal ball here. We got approximately one and three quarter year. How many individual real estate investors will there be in the U.S.? So is it going up, going down, going to stay the same? Why? Yeah, crystal ball. Uh, we're boosting ourselves into the future. Uh, I'd say definitely up. Certainly, I think there's, I mean, there was sort of the... Kiyosaki movement from back in the day that you referenced earlier. There was sort of the bigger pockets wave that came after that. Um, and so 
Um, I think the stats are not that obvious, but the stats do prove that there is a growing appetite for real estate investing. And I think we're kind of in the early innings uh, of it. Um, folks are saving more than they did before. They have more exposure to investments than they did in the past. Um, and so it feels like real estate is kind of natural on that trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully we could play a big part in that as well. All right. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? Hmm. Related to the previous ones, and I'm going to be careful what words I use here because uh, a lot of our friends are in that that space too. But uh, I do think that there will and will continue to be an institutionalization of residential real estate. I think it's such a great asset class um, that more and more institutions, once they uh, once they're less frozen, uh, will kind of jump and come roaring back into it. Um, and I think generally it's a great trend because the institutions are where there's the big bucks and the big bucks means lots of technological innovation and process improvements and things of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, there's finite real estate. And so I definitely would love to see more individuals uh, be able to, to own versus a big institution that owns tens of thousands of homes. Yeah. All right. And the last but not least on For the Future, what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances? I think something has to change about the shopping experience uh, mm-hmm. as we see it today. There's sort of like the online browsing, then the physical browsing, and then the mounds and mounds of paperwork, and then who knows what this paperwork actually means and things of that nature. I think we'll see more standardization. Um, so. I mean, you were an agent before, uh, and so Mm -hmm. you kind of see how the different states have their own sort of form docs. Um, I see it where in the immediate future, perhaps there's sort of form docs that uh, cross state lines. um, And then gradually, um, some of the transactional piece I do think will, number one, come online and number two, be standardized more. Cool. What do you think? Well, I I think there's a lot of things that, uh, could change. And um, one that I've been sold on for a long time that I think needs to change, and it is coming, is reducing the need for wet signature. Yeah. I'm okay with friction. There's there's a there's a book over my right, right shoulder by uh, Roger Dooley, uh, and it's called Friction. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Friction can be a good thing. And I think friction in real estate actually is a good thing. Um, I think the, despite many of the guests that we have on the show that are aiming for a frictionless real estate experience. Right. And I know we talk, it gets talked about on the show a lot, but I, I actually genuinely think that removing too much friction actually does not serve the end consumer best. It might be easiest, but you're talking about, for most people, the largest financial purchase, and it's a significant portion of their their monthly income. Uh, 
and removing the friction, there is a cost. We always pay for convenience. It's very rare that convenience comes with a discount. Um, I'd love to know examples of that. So maybe there's some obvious ones I can't think of at the moment. But um, I think the wet signature thing is it's just a better experience that I don't have to go down to some office. You know, it's, it's certainly advantageous to those who are moving to a new market when we moved to South Dakota. I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of title companies and escrow companies and, and all that, that jazz. But, you know, it was just, it was annoying to like meet up with a, a, a mobile notary in the lobby yeah, yeah. of, of my condo building and, they couldn't answer anything about that they're sitting in front of you with and they're just staring at you to sign and and they feel like, how dare you read these? Well, I don't know, man. Like usually when I'm signing up for a 30 year agreement, I'm going to read what I'm signing, you know? So, uh, I would like that because I would like the opportunity to review my documents, not having someone stare a hole through me, you know, it's, but maybe yeah. that's just me. I don't know. Okay. But shout out to Pat Kinsell at Notarize. Uh, Got to give them a shout out because they're early supporters of uh, Techna. So, all right, Andrew, we're going to move into the last three. These are about you, so the listeners get to know you just a bit better. First one: What are you reading? Yeah, um, see, rereading uh, the ever everything store, uh, but Amazon uh, mm. definitely a company that we look up to. Um, and I think there's a lot of parallel elements, including sort of like the heavy physical world uh, logistics behind the scenes that makes it all happen. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that's that's one of them. All right. Number two here. Who are you learning from? Ooh. This one's always a tricky one for me. I, I, I think that I generally learn from a lot of different people about different topics and domains, etc. I'll give a shout out to um, yeah, one of our small angel investors at Dorvest, the founder of a later stage prop tech company. Uh, I'll probably not share his name, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, kind of always reach out to him as we go through the best and the worst of times um, and always lends a helping hand uh, in the very least as sort of a shoulder to try on, uh, cry on when we have our toughest times. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks out there that uh, I kind of count on it. Yeah, I want to, he, he'd be one for sure. Last one here, what inspires you? Money. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, no, follow no, your heart. It's your answer. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely not the money, but uh, I do think money is important to a certain degree. Um, you know, it's it's working on things that I find important, fun, and with great people. Um, and so by way of that, uh, I, I think I alluded to this earlier, my journey with Dorvest so far has been ups and downs and ups and downs and um i expect very much inspect that to continue to be the case for all of time um and so kind of those three components uh, as long mm-hmm. as those hold true i think that the motivation uh will continue to be extremely strong 
Andrew, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm excited to finally come to the other end, I feel like, of first hearing about DoorVest through my sales agent who is leaving me with no one to call. <laughs> and then finally getting to have you on the show, hearing the details of what you guys have been building the last few years. I know it's it's been uh, what a whirlwind of a market to have been in the last few years, as a, especially as a startup uh, but you guys also, you know, achieving quite a bit in that short period of time. Uh, before we close out, for those who want to get a hold of you and/or learn more about Dorvrust, where do they go? How do they do that? Yeah, Dorvrust.com is probably the best. Um, or shoot me an email, Andrew at Dorvrust.com. I don't have a lot of answers, unfortunately, but I could try. Uh, and in the very least, I could find some smart people uh, to to redirect to. I love it. Well, um, you know, I know our companies work together, so I'm sure we'll be in touch here and there along the ways. Uh, and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet up uh, somewhere uh, later this year or next. But until then, we'll catch you later. Yeah, I'm sure our pads are going to cross a gun. Uh, grateful to have or to be on the show uh, and excited about the continued partnership. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the PropTech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.